This program is part of Film Geek Radio. Visit filmgeekradio.com for more great shows. Hey, dear listeners, and welcome to the Tupperware Party, Film Geek Radio's weekly podcast devoted exclusively to discussion and analysis of the HBO series The Leftovers. I'm Andrew Johnson, and I'm here with my regular co-host, Charlie Nash. Hey, Andrew. What have you been eating for leftovers lately, Charlie? I've been having a lot of bagels. <laughs> really? That's funny, because all my bagels have disappeared in the toaster somewhere. Have you been stealing them? That's exactly what's been going on, Charlie. I've been taking all your bagels. <laughs> Andrew. As always, you can email the show at leftovers at filmgeekradio.com or call us, leave us a voicemail at 336-793-2509. We would love to hear from you. If you've listened to any of our shows before, you know that basically what we do is each week we just discuss an episode of the show. And we're going to start off with some general thoughts and then we're going to dive into some more specifics. So there will be spoilers. So if you haven't seen last night's episode, you might want to wait and watch episode two of season one of The Leftovers before tuning in. And of course, please subscribe to us through iTunes and Stitcher and leave us a review. We really appreciate that. That helps get the word out about the show. And if you leave us a positive review, we will give you a special shout out on the show next week. This week, we're going to be discussing the second episode of The Leftovers. The episode is titled Penguin One, Us Zero. It was written by Damon Lindelof and Tom Parada. And it was directed by Peter Berg, who we forgot to mention also directed last week's pilot episode and is perhaps best known, or at least recently known, as the director of the film Battleship. <laughs> Although he has made better films. I, b- I believe he did uh, The Rundown with The Rock, which... I, I like The Rundown a lot. I did. I like that film too, but I was also like 13 when I saw it, so I'm not sh- I don't have like a great memory of that film. It holds fun. up. It's fun. Yeah. Yeah. But so yeah, that's the episode we're going to be discussing today. Charlie, why don't you go ahead and remind our listeners what happened in episode two of The Leftovers? This is the exclusive synopsis from HBOGo.com. In the wake of a series of disturbing encounters, Kevin pays a visit to his therapist. Tom finds himself in a precarious situation with Christine, a favorite of Wayne's. A frustrated Meg is asked to part with pieces of her past. Jill and Amy tail Nora Durst, who became a local celebrity when her entire family disappeared in the departure. Hi. Hi. Did you so? Some blisters. Mind if I ask your name? Meg. Megan Abbott. You here on your own free will, Miss Abbott? Yes. You need my help? No. All right, Charlie, what did you think of Penguin 1, Us 0? Do you feel it lived up to the pilot? Because we both concluded that the pilot, while a little bit flawed, had a lot of potential, and there, there, there were a lot of positive things to like about the show and where it seemed to be headed. 
Um, I like this episode for basically the same reasons I liked the pilot. It, it developed some characters, but once again, like the pilot, it developed some of the characters through a lot of questions. It brings up questions, and in this episode, it kind of uh, gives us some new shades of what the characters are up to, but it also introduces a lot of new questions, such as why is the cult taking all of Meg's possessions? Why do they want her to chop down a tree? Uh, what's going on with Tom Garvey, the Kevin Garvey's son, and Christine, who uh, is apparently apparently special, according to Wayne, and yeah, the, the episode starts, Andrew, in the middle of this huge violent raid. We have no idea what's going on. It's a very gripping way to start the show, actually, and it's a very terrifying way to start this episode because we knew something weird was going on with Wayne, and we knew something weird was going on with this other cult, but now, apparently, this cult with Wayne is considered to be deadly or, you know, it has something going on that's causing the government to get concerned, enough to shoot up a house full of strangers, all of which are female and most of which are Asian, I believe? Well, it looked to me like there were some men in w uh, with guns as well that got shot. Yeah, so... You know, they don't really explain what's going on with that, but at the same time, it makes for really intriguing television because it gets you launched right in the middle of this action sequence that's very terrifying, and I didn't feel like the violence was meant to titillate at all. It actually served the very eerie tone of the show. And I think that Liv Tyler's performance in particular is amazing. Um, I like what uh, is going on with her character. There's some interesting stuff going on with um, Kevin Garvey, the local sheriff, and uh, his relationship with the mayor and his relationship with his father. So I liked it. I still have no idea where the show is going. And honestly, it threw a few curveballs even in the second episode as to what some of my estimations were from last week. But I like it for that so far. I had to tell you, Charlie, I was kind of let down by this episode. I was really? not, not a big fan of most of what happened here. I was kind of bored and didn't see the point of most of what was going on. Re uh, you know, the Liv Tyler storyline sort of interests me. And I think that overall, that was the one that was probably handled the best, even though I think it was a little shaky as to, again, why exactly she has to go chop down this tree and kind of what exactly is going on there. Well, at one point she says, what is this supposed to symbolize my, uh, you know, me getting rid of my past life? And oddly enough, it seemed exactly like that was the purpose of that. So at first I right. was like, so I remember, so at first I was like the show saying, oh, it isn't that, even though everyone's going to, you know, interpret it as that. But then it ends with that scene of her actually going back outside and chopping down the tree and like getting into it. So I guess it is because that also happens right after the last of her possessions is taken and one of which I think the last possession is her mother's shirt I believe yeah yeah so yeah. that was kind of weird how they handled that but I found it to be interesting all the same but anyway I'm sorry yeah I thought that stuff was uh, was it was okay the stuff with with Chief Garvey possibly having hallucinations and not really knowing what's real and what's not that I just really didn't care for Everything with Wayne, I thought, was interesting, but again, not a whole lot happened. Uh, honestly, really, is is there? Do, do we learn anything, or is there anything else that happens between the opening scene and the final scene with that storyline that really matters? Well, they are all on the run, and they're on the run with Wayne at first, and then uh, Christ we learn that Christine, the uh, girl with the gummy bears from last week's episode, is apparently important. Well, right, but we kind of got that feeling last week as well when he was like, hey, she's important, that's why I need to protect her, and <laughs> you know, and, and, and don't and keep your hands off her. You know, I, I feel like we already knew most of that. Like, the only thing we learned about Wayne this episode is that he gives match 
magical hugs, and we didn't even get to see a magical hug. And from I didn't watch Lost, but tell me if this is true. I've heard that some of the complaints about Lost were was Damon Lindelof kind of saying like, no, this is important. These characters are important, and then that wouldn't add up to much. And are you worried that that's what's going to happen here? Possibly. I'm I'm more worried though that no matter what happens, I'm just not going to care at this point. Like I feel like you got to sh- like fine, develop every storyline in each episode, but you got to make it matter. You got to sh- you got to let me know why this is important. I'm trying to think what the other main storylines well, were in this there was episode. The stuff with um, Kevin Garvey's daughter Jill. She has a relationship with her friend who's very promiscuous that feels a lot to me like the relationship that Mina Savari and Thor Birch had in American Beauty for some weird reason. Yeah. Um, and I don't find these characters likable at all, but I feel like they act like teenagers. And, you know, I was an obnoxious teenager, so, you know, I understand, but it is hard to like her. I was interested in the stuff with uh, Nora, who we didn't really get much of from the pilot. I thought one of the most moving scenes in the episode, which it might be manipulative and it might be cheap but i did like that scene where she interviews the two parents of one of these people who disappeared who had down syndrome yes i liked that scene and i wanted them to do more with that but they never really follow through it's kind of like okay so they follow nora and then they steal some stuff from her car and drive off yeah. whoop-de-doo and 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 i was like okay well why does that matter why does that matter to nora why does that matter to to jill and her friends how is this developing them okay they played hooky for a day so what and it, it just it felt like the show was kind of already just spinning its wheels. Like, it's not quite sure what to do with these characters. And sure, maybe next week we'll get some follow-through from that. Maybe Nora will pop back up again. I am interested to see why exactly it is that certain people are getting uh, checks, I guess, supposedly from the government. They're answering all these questions so the government or whoever can try to figure out why the people disappeared and see if there's some sort of common link between them. But uh, so I, I thought that was interesting. But again, I just felt like it didn't really go anywhere this episode. And, and that was my big problem overall. You know, there's all this stuff about, well, is Chief Garvey hallucinating? And then it kind of says, well, yeah, maybe. And then at the very end, it's kind of like, well, no, because he has bagels. So he, <laughs> he, found, he, he found the bagels. So it's OK. And I'm, and I'm just kind of like, first of all, why should I care if he's going crazy? Yeah. And what does that mean? Okay, I get that his dad went crazy, uh, but his dad seems to be doing okay, even though he's in the hospital. Mm -hmm. Okay, so his dad ended up totally snapping and running naked through the streets or whatever. What about Chief Garvey and and what about what he's experiencing could lead to that? I don't know. I really doubt that this bald guy, he may or may not be hallucinating, is going to show up and be like, you know what you should do? Just take off your clothes. You know, I, I just don't think that's going to happen. Yeah, no, I agree. Maybe I was just more forgiving of it because it's only the second episode and I, I'm i okay with it for, you know, I'm still patient with it for now. I agree. It's not the fastest paced show on television. You know, I'm currently watching Hannibal, which is also about a main character who's hallucinating. And that show is like a bolt of lightning in terms of its pacing. I wouldn't even say that, though. I'd say, I'd say Hannibal is fast sometimes because it has cases of the week. But in terms of a character show, yeah. I feel like the characters at times move glacially slow on that show. But it, but the show manages to pull it off because each episode, they might only move forward a little bit, but they move forward. Yeah. Well, uh, another thing I found to be interesting is uh, is there maybe I'm looking too hard into this stuff, but I find it to be interesting that this cult full of white people, you know, everyone's aware of them, and people, the cops 
are acknowledging that they're not dangerous as of yet. Don't you find it to be interesting that this other cult with Wayne, in which he is a black man, and um, most of these people seem to be minorities in that house that they shot up. Don't you find that to be interesting on a racially political level in some ways? I'm not sure. Maybe I'm looking too deep into it. Maybe I, I think it might be anything, but I think it might be going a little bit too deep because there are a lot of white people that Wayne surrounds himself with, and there is that black guy in the pledge house. Yeah, that's true. That makes okay. pancakes. Oh, yeah. Uh, how could I forget? Um, yeah. <laughs> okay, maybe I am going a little too deep, uh, looking a little too hard here, but I don't know. It's just so bizarre and unlike anything on TV right now that I'm okay with it going this slow. I will agree with you that if it continues at this pace, I will grow impatient. But I guess the performances are also so good. I mean, Liv Tyler's such an underrated actress, and I think that if it was a different actress playing her role, I probably wouldn't care as much. I also want to know what's going on with this cult because, you know... Ann Dowd is telling Lori, uh, Kevin Garvey's wife, who's estranged and part of this cult now, you're too easy on her. You know, you're going to have to cut her loose. She, you're just being too easy on her. She's not learning, you know, quick enough. And I want to know what that's all about. Hopefully we'll get some of that next episode. I do want to know why chopping down a tree was important because it seemed to like, it seemed that the, that the jo- and I know I previously said this, but that did seem like the show was kind of like being cheeky with us. Like, hey, you're probably going to interpret it as this. And then it actually is like exactly what the show is winking at you, you know, saying right. that you will interpret it as, so. Yeah, I don't know. I like, okay, the thing that I liked about the pilot last week was that it seemed like it was going to explore not necessarily what specifically happened with the departure and why people were taken and and kind of make that a puzzle. I don't want that, but it seemed like it was going to explore the effect that that had on the characters and kind of what's happened to them as a result and, and, and their grief and their guilt and I don't want to know about Chief Garvey's mental issues, I don't, <laughs> unless they reveal that it's somehow related to the guilt he feels because he was having sex with whatever random woman when it happened yeah. or, 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 or something like that, you know. But until they make it matter to, to his emotional life mm-hmm. and what seemed to be his primary concerns, his job and his family mm-hmm. – then why should I care if he's cracking up? You know? I mean, that's true. I guess I just found Justin Thoreau's performance to be pretty engaging. And I, I, I think that shows how good the acting on this show is, because I think if you're right, if there were worse, if there were worse actors, then I probably wouldn't care because I agree with you that it's, you know, giving us a trail of breadcrumbs, but compared to last week, it seems like the breadcrumbs are even smaller. Uh, right. Like, but, like, like, okay. The reason that, storyline just really irritated me is that it feels like it's trying to play a game with the audience like oh is he is he hallucinating this guy or is he not except they've done it in such a messed up way that now i'm gonna feel cheated and i'm gonna feel manipulated no matter what the answer is Mm -hmm. because he doesn't know the guy's name the guy won't tell him his name he doesn't seem to feel like that. Well, that like that's suspicious. The guy somehow knows where he lives, <laughs> parks in his driveway. His daughter says, "Oh, hey, what was that all about?" or whatever at mm-hmm. the door. But there's still no co- direct confirmation she actually saw someone there. Yeah, it's entirely possible she just heard him talking and was like, "Hey, dad's talking to someone." So I feel like they're really heavily implying, just in terms of the way it's constructed. 
he's going crazy. Yeah. And now if he turns out he's not going crazy, I just want to be like, well, you're a terrible cop. <laughs> find out who this guy is. What, why, why do you not have questions? Why are, you, why are you not like, how did you find out where I live? Yeah. Why are you randomly bringing me beer? What's your deal, man? <laughs> why are you leaving your truck in my driveway with the dead dog in it that you're not even going to be nice enough to take out? <laughs> yes, and he's just like, whatever. I don't need the truck anymore. Take it. I'm like, okay, if you're not cracking up, you need to take this guy in for questioning because he's weird and he could be dangerous. Yeah, and not to go back to Hannibal, but that does deal that is a show that deals with every character around that character who is hallucinating responding to him in a natural way. Even though we know that, you know, even when he's getting that character's being manipulated, Will Graham is being manipulated in that show, the characters reasonably explain what is real and what isn't real and it make the show also makes it clear when he is hallucinating and this show is kind of trying to play it both ways where they're just teasing you a little bit i guess sometimes i'm okay with being teased as long as it has an interesting follow-through but i agree with you it could end up being really manipulative it could be damon lindelof just saying gotcha like at the very last second which would be quite irritating I right agree. Yeah. right and and let's just go ahead and say, obviously, if you haven't figured it out now, we're in spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> we should have given that uh, warning. Like, I don't know how long we've been talking, 15 minutes ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> also, I just have to say, Charlie. Yeah? This week, they, they showed us their, uh, their brand spanking new credit sequence. Oh, which is, yeah. <laughs> Which is awful. You think it it's is, awful? It is terrible. It's very religious, for sure. Well, it seems like a religious mural. It seems like it's like some mural in a church or something. Yes. Yeah. And again, it places all the emphasis not only on the disappearance, but on a specific interpretation of the disappearance, which is that it was the rapture. That's not what the show needs to be about. Yeah, the show that's should true. be about the, the leftovers. Well, we don't really know what the show is about yet, and I think that's sort of the point, is that the show right. is kind of teasing us, like, we're going to give you all these possibilities, and then we're going to go down a route, and that's one thing I'm worried about, is that they're going to go down a route that we might not necessarily want it to go down after it's you know, hinted at so many other possibilities. And you're right about that title credit sequence. Like, you you know, our last show, which was uh, on HBO's True Detective, that was an opening credit sequence where it featured images from that case that were relevant to the entire plot. And it became interesting when those images uh, appeared in certain episodes of the show and it kind of made the title sequence all uh, like a puzzle in itself. And here it's just a bunch of... Yeah, I kind of agree with you. It's a, just a bunch of, like, images from... It looked like it was just shot in a church, and it was all some act of God, which they're not even, you know, referencing here. And it does kind of give off the wrong tone, in my opinion. Well, maybe not the wrong tone, but it kind of hints at ideas that are not really being explored here. Well, right, and I feel like the best credit sequences really should just focus on establishing a tone and a mood and letting you know, hey, this is the how this show is going to feel. Yeah. You e know? Even even uh, title sequences with, you know, complete random imagery, like the opening sequence for HBO's True Blood, that sets up a really gothic, very gritty, yes. uh, you know, sets, chaotic. It sets up the southern uh, setting. It sets up the themes. You've got the people holding signs. It, like Baptisms. And baptism and or... Yeah, it sets up the par the parallels that they're trying to draw 
uh, between the fictional world and real life. Mm-hmm. And this prep sequence doesn't do anything. No, it's it's really disappointing. Maybe they'll do. Maybe they'll realize that it sucks and just switch halfway through. <laughs> maybe so. I mean, some shows have done that. Even the ones that haven't sucked. I don't know if you watched Big Love, but mm-hmm. they switch title sequences halfway through that show. Right. So. Or even if it's something, <laughs> look at something like The Wire. The Wire switched it up every sequence, and they just used the different cover versions of the same theme song. Oh, I haven't and, seen The Wire. I'm you know, so embarrassed to admit that I haven't seen The Wire, and I know I said that during our last show. I'm that's next on my list, and then I got caught up with all these other shows. But I, I, based on that alone, too, I, it's another reason for me to watch it. Yes, so. after Hannibal, you need to watch The Wire, Charlie. Yeah, just get on that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but so yeah, this episode, I just, if I felt like it was spinning its wheels. Like there's a random scene where. Uh, one of the the members of the cult is like painting a window or something or painting white over mm-hmm. it and then a teenager like slushies her like out of glee like yeah. throws a slushy at her and then she just kind of looks up and looks kind of shocked and then they never go back to that. Yeah, they don't ever go back to that. It also reminded me of that scene and we need to talk about Kevin where they just throw red paint all over Tilda Swinton's house but that at least had a purpose and here it was just like, hey, look, you know, People are mean to the... Me- she was a member of the cult, right? So right. it was just like, hey, look, this cult isn't liked. Let's show that by having an obnoxious teenager throw a slushie right. at her and have and it not mean anything. And again, we got that last week yeah. when there was a riot. <laughs> <laughs> we get that people don't like the cult. You see, Andrew, I think it's all about the symbolism of the redness of the slushy and that blood might be spilled and that cult members, it's foreshadowing. See, you need to look into the imagery a little <laughs> bit more. That's a clear, clearly a deep slushy metaphor. That yeah. is, it's a, I don't know. All right, let's 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 talk about the, the Wayne storyline because i said last week that wayne i think was a really interesting and intriguing character i still think that's the case but i don't think we learned anything new this week we didn't except we learned hey he gives magical hugs that's apparently (laughs) what he he did to the congressman and i gotta admit i'm like okay that's kind of interesting yeah he has some sort of incredible power of persuasion or legitimate supernatural powers and he's able to uh to to lift their burdens yeah, you know, and I'm thinking, okay, that's interesting. This episode opens, as you mentioned, with the raid, which I feel like would be exciting if there was build up to it. Yeah, like we've only spent one episode with these characters, and in the opening scene of this episode, they're like, "Oh yeah, all right, let's do it. Let's yeah. take Wayne." And it and it does kind of make it seem like this episode's going to be fast paced and furious, and it do, is it, it was effective for me because I didn't know what was going on. I was disoriented, and it's horrific. Not too incredibly graphic violence, but it was horrific enough because you know I, I felt like it was effectively shot and uh, well done, and it was it worked for me. Do you think it would have been better if they set up like some stuff with Wayne in the beginning, and then the raid happened, and then they run away because Look, that? I yeah. think I think a, a big event like this raid. It needed to happen a few episodes later. I think we needed time to get to know Tom, get to know Wayne, get to know uh, Christine, explore their relationships a little bit, figure out, well, should we like Wayne? Should we not like Wayne? What's his whole deal? But it just kind of throws us into it. And Wayne somehow knew they were coming, so he's nowhere to be found, but we don't know how he knows. And, And they put Tom... This character that we've had very little time with, and they have him make an incredibly big choice, which yeah. is to kill somebody in order to protect Christine. And I get it. He likes Christine. 
We saw that Wayne told him to take care of Christine. Does he care enough, and does that matter enough that he would kill? Though I don't, I apparently, haven't, but I, I haven't agree felt with you. that. I haven't felt that, you know. And again, we don't, like, we don't know enough about these characters. Like he jumped into a swimming pool and screamed underwater, and right. that's pretty much it. And he's estranged from his father, who he calls at one point and then doesn't call back. So yeah. right, and it, 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 it's just, it's just structurally, I feel like they really screwed up here because again, we don't know these characters well enough. Mm-hmm. to have these things really, really matter. I mean, they imply that this is the first time he's ever killed a man, and that's a big deal. And there's an interesting moment when Wayne is kind of like, well, hey, let me give you one of my magical hugs and, uh, and uh, take away all your guilt or whatever, and he doesn't want to do it. Did that also seem weirdly like it was going into, maybe I'm also digging too deep into this, but it was like a, he was like kind of weirded out in a homophobic type of way? I don't know. because I'm not sure because he did see Wayne kiss that dead guy. Exa- it, it kissed the dead guy, but then he also kissed Christine as if they were in a relationship. So Well, right, and, th- and that's the thing. You know, Wayne has this effeminate vibe to him mm-hmm. so you feel like okay well maybe he is gay maybe he does have relationships with men or he's bisexual again we don't know much about that i don't even know why the guy was dead <laughs> no we don't have any idea like, they show up to this <laughs> gas station and there's blood and there's a dead guy what i put it i i figured that he may be the same people maybe they raided the gas station i don't know that's what i assumed based on the fact that so many other people are killing people to get to wayne yes. but it also seems like when you come to think about it it's like those people who are trying to find wayne they don't even like ask questions as to where he might be they're just shoot first ask questions later so they're not being very effective. Well, okay, to be fair, I from what I saw, it looked like they only shot when the guy came in with the gun. It looked like everyone they shot had a gun. Yeah, I okay, yeah, I'd, I'd have to rewatch it, but I'll, I'll go, I'll go with that. Yeah, but then yeah, they are yelling, "Hey, tell me where Wayne is!" But or they were I'll also going to probably shoot Christine. It looked like they were going to shoot well, Christine, who was unarmed. Well, that's the thing is, it's so weird because you're like, okay, you're, I guess you're law enforcement officials. So you can't kill in cold blood. Why are you telling her that you will? Like, I just, this is not going to work. If, yeah. if you Just take, arrest her and then interrogate her. <laughs> Do your job. Nobody seems to know what they're doing in the show either. Like, everything. Like, <laughs> For everyone is the worst cop in the world. I don't know. Just, just The only people who actually make sense and act like they are the way they're supposed to be acting are the teenagers who I can't really stand. But I think you're not supposed to like them. Well, right, because I can't see yet what their purpose is for this story. Well, they are clearly interested in Nora, and for some reason Nora's interviewing people. We don't know who she's interviewing people for or why. I guess it's just so, just talking about it, it's it's entertaining in such a weird way. I'm, I'm not disagreeing with you that this is very flawed. I'm just saying... I'm not even disagreeing with you that it's slow and that we didn't learn anything. I'm just saying it's just so bizarre and out there that for the time being, it hasn't bothered me. I'm just saying, okay, I was really let down after last week's uh, pilot because I thought last week's pilot showed a lot of potential. If the show is going to be this convoluted (laughs) now on a weekly basis... I don't know what I'm going to do because it's just I, I, like there were so many decisions in this episode that made me just scratch my head and go, what? Why are you going in <laughs> We're this We're going to have direction? to make family trees and then like graph it out just to keep. 
following it. But yeah, um, like, I also like, want to know what happens when he does hug them. If it's just going to be one of those, like maybe he's a false prophet and he's manipulating people for his own good. And like, uh, I mean, not for his own good. Maybe he's manipulating people to gain power and he's okay. not really this false prophet. And then he just hugs people. And then there's a placebo effect that goes into their brain. Like, oh, the pain is gone. And uh, but or, you know what I would have loved if he goes up to like a dying tree afterwards and he just hugs it and the tree like blooms and, <laughs> and just okay. glitters and I don't know. Okay, I'm calling it right now, Charlie. I know why Christine is special. Why? She's pregnant with his child, okay? <gasps> oh. She's pregnant with his child. Why did I not guess that? <laughs> and it's going to be like the special baby, the son of Wayne. And Damon Lindelof's going to do the whole religious thing. Like, this could be the next Jesus. It's a special <laughs> child. <laughs> the raid cops are like, we let this happen with Rosemary. We're not letting it happen again. <laughs> yes. I mean, okay, Lost had had Claire, and she was pregnant, and it was a big deal. And it's just, it's just like, I have a feeling we're going down another special baby kind of story. And I... <laughs> Maybe and, we'll get the woodland Christmas critters from South Park. <laughs> and look, I'm I'm not saying that that may, maybe that could be great. I'm just saying <laughs> nothing in this episode made me feel like it was going to be handled well. Yeah, no, it's very very messy. But it was just, it was just. I kind of watched the episode with just such the such an intriguing sense of glee. Like, what is this? Like, that's yes. happening. That I just, I have to admit, I wasn't bored. I think the Liv Tyler subplot is the strongest for now Definitely. because it's going slowest. At the same time, we don't really notice anything except they're taking away all of her possessions and she's chopping down a tree. And I right. wish it wasn't so on the nose about yes. that. And, and and yeah, and that storyline is, is flawed. Again, with the whole chopping down the tree thing, I'm like, really? But it was the strongest because, one, she changes throughout the episode. Gradually, she comes to a realization based on what Lori tells her about how she's married to the chief of police. And she's had problems, too, and, and all that. And... It feels like it has a purpose. It feels like it's moving forward in a logical, coherent way, as opposed to just trying to manipulate the audience or suddenly bring in an emotional event with no real buildup. It feels the most organic. Yeah. It feels the most... Yeah, exactly. It feels like it takes place in the real world, and it's not like this insane, convoluted, uh, you know, we're going to rush through things just to get to the exciting bits and then slow down for whatever reason. This is the type of show, Andrew, where I wish that HBO had a, like a live tweeting forum because I feel like this would be a hilarious show to watch where people either who love it or hate it and the people who love it are like trying to come up with these ingenious theories that actually make sense and then they're combined with all the haters who are like what's happening? Why is she chopping down a tree? I don't understand. Magical hugs? What is this bullshit? Well, again, like, that would be lost <laughs> all over again. Yeah. But don't you think that would be fun? I mean like you wouldn't be able to focus on the show as much but it would be hilariously entertaining and it wouldn't be, it would kind of take the edge off how grim and bleak this show is. All I know is that if I'm watching a show supposedly set in the real world, supposedly with actual consequences, supposedly that wants me to take it seriously, I should not walk away from an episode going, who's that dead guy? Why did he die? <laughs> yeah. Like, that's a big deal. There's a character who's dead. Yeah. And some guy making out. With Entire <laughs> shows have been made about solving why people die and why people are murdered. You can't just toss it in a random yeah. episode and not explain it. That's a big deal. Are we going to take death seriously on the show or not? Yeah. I'm also wondering if the show is going to like take some huge time jumps in the middle of it, like have a six months later thing and have Liv 
Tyler being like this crown of thorns messiah and aliens will come out and like I don't know there'll be Satan worshippers and there'll be a giant atomic bomb like in Planet of the Apes or something yes, that Pete the cult is worshipping if this show goes so bonkers I will say I'm not I'm not saying it will be good I'm just saying it could be so bonkers that it could be just like unlike anything on TV. But, but again, Charlie, you're talking bonkers from a plot perspective. Yeah. And we haven't seen any indication yet that it's going to go bonkers on a plot perspective unless Wayne is indeed supernatural and he's going to have a magical baby or something. Yeah. But if the show goes bonkers with its characters, by which I mean suddenly they're not acting like real people, suddenly they're doing things that don't make sense, they're not acting like the character we've seen in previous episodes, that is going to be irritating and it's going to be a, a, a sign that you're the show doesn't know what it's doing. Yeah, well, that was my concern with Damon Lindelof from the beginning because Prometheus had exactly the same problems, which is it introduces all these ideas and then it follows through with them for about an hour and then, uh, you know, a bunch of monsters pop out and they're like, don't worry, we'll like answer all that in the sequel, which is now being written by the same guy who did Green Lantern and I don't even think Damon Lindelof's involved. So it sounds like he couldn't even come up with answers to his own uh, original project. I would love to get feedback from people who have read the book and see what their response is to this so far and see if the book is this kind of slow-paced and somewhat convoluted or if it goes a lot faster than this and that the show is taking its time because it's a television show. See, I feel like the show doesn't know what pace it has to set yeah. though because as we've said it's so weird like the, the Liv Tyler storyline is progressing fairly nicely at an okay pace the uh, the Wayne storyline suddenly there's a random raid and it's like it's all fast paced and we haven't <laughs> even got to know the characters yet the the everything with the chief suddenly it's going down this whole you're going crazy route and um, yeah. it's it's just it's it's so weird. Oh, I will what say, was up with the porch on fire? That was weird. I don't really get that either. Oh, the fence? Yeah. Well, the fence caught on fire in the beginning for because the neighbors okay. burned it down what? or something. I got really confused because in that scene where since the fence is on fire, uh, the guy comes out and he's trying to put it out or whatever, and his wife is behind him on their balcony, and he don't get a good look at her. And I thought it was Ann Dowd, oh. and and I was like, oh, is this a flashback? Was she like his neighbor? <laughs> yeah, well, that one might make sense as to why the wife might have left him. I, I also want to know more about the wife because I know that she nobody talks in that cult. I mean, we right. know Ann Dowd can talk if she wants to, but right. she, even she doesn't. And yeah, the wife, we do get that. Basically, we just know that she remembers his her past life, which was kind of a given considering that it was, you know, three years ago. <laughs> it's not like the wife is just going to be like, oh, you know, screw it all, you know. But Yeah, and so then later on when he's like, oh, yeah, and by the way... Uh, my fence was caught on fire today or whatever. I was like, oh, so that wasn't a flashback. That was in the present. Okay, now I'm confused. Why is that? Why is that? Yeah, why is that important? Again, so many things in this, sh in this episode. I was like, why does this matter? Why is this important? Where is this going? And, uh, you know what does matter, Andrew? Hand cream. Hand cream is all that matters. Hand cream is all that matters. You're right. It's, it's worth breaking into people's cars to, mm -hmm. and, and, and jelly beans. Even stale jelly beans yep. are what matters, apparently. Yep. Yeah. The, the, what do you think of those characters? Because I can't stand them, but I know that this show is probably going to take that route that it did with Sansa on Game of Thrones, where it's like she's this spoiled, bratty teenage girl who's going to become really sympathetic by the end of the season. I don't even know that she is spoiled and bratty. I feel like... Well, they okay. were pretty obnoxious. Well, they're yeah, not they're, spoiled, sure. but they're, they've got attitude problems, well, clearly. Right, right. But here's the... Again... Because we've only had one episode, it's painted them in such broad strokes. Like, okay, 
so we had the scene with Tom where he screams in the pool. We had this scene with Jill where she's crying in bed. And it's like, okay, we get it. You're acting the way you act because you're confused and you're depressed. I need more than that. Yeah. Which is interesting because it's... And, you know, I think that this type of story that answers questions with more questions is something that can work as a film. Like, I'm wondering if this might have been more effective... You know, obviously we're only on the second episode, but maybe by the end of the season with the slow pacing and not as much getting developed, maybe we would we'll look back on this and say maybe this should have been a, a miniseries or a film. Because I think that, I don't know if you've seen um, the Adam McGillian film Exotica, but that's a film that launches you into the middle of a situation, gives you no indication as to what's going on, who these people are, what's happening, and then it ends, solves its mystery with another mystery. But that's haunting and that's also only two hours. And here we've gotten to two hours already and we're still asking a bunch of questions and we don't really know where it's going to go and we have no indication as to what mysteries are going to be solved what direction these mysteries are going to go in if they are supernatural if they are psychological if they're going to be within the real world yeah and i've heard from some other critics i I know tv critics were sent the first four episodes of the show and i've heard that a lot of critics uh didn't like episode two but they thought episode three was a lot better. So we'll see next week if episode three is an improvement. All I know is that I was really let down by episode two. And I feel like it's the kind of episode that you would later make fun of in a series. <laughs> and it, like, like, oh, hey, remember that episode when there was everything with the disappearing bagels? <laughs> the case of the disappearing bagels. That was yeah. a that was the a case of the disappearing bagels. The hallucinations. I feel like that was all last season, the final season of Dexter. Hey, remember when that happened? And then had no significance at all for the rest of the season. Exactly. It would be yeah. okay. Like everything with the bagels to me felt like Harrison on the treadmill. <laughs> like what? Like why the heck are you doing this whole thing about bagels? Well, that was a plot contrivance when Harrison fell off the treadmill. But this bagel thing doesn't even seem to be a plot contrivance. It seems to be something about character development which I don't understand. Also, that's just such a weird like, uh, for a show that asks such deep philosophical questions, it's really hard to, like, get wrapped up in what happened to the bagels? Like, yes, exactly. bagels are like, you could go get one at Dunkin' Donuts for a buck fifty. It's not the end of the world. Yes, like as soon as he, get, like, as soon as he's like, hey, yeah, come talk with me over here while I make bagels. I'm like, why the hell? What? <laughs> we never see people make, ba- go get bagels in a show. It's always that we're gonna go get coffee. Okay, but he, I'm, I'm gonna go with it. <laughs> And then he starts to make the bagels, and then he looks in, and the bagels are gone. I'm just like, really? (laughs) Really? This is where you're going, the leftovers? The bagels disappeared, and now he's not sure if he's going crazy or not? Why doesn't he just be like, hey, boss, did you see me put the bagels in there? You did? Okay. Yeah. Where are they? Let's find them together. (laughs) That's going to be the whole subplot of the show is all about his bagels. And we'll just keep coming back to him and his bagels. And then we'll keep cutting back to like the cults and whatever. Like actually would be pretty great if they get into all this philosophical stuff and then to satirize like this, like its own, you know, bleakness. It's just like she could be the next Messiah. Liv Tyler might be the next Messiah and Wayne might be a false prophet. And meanwhile, like his bagels have gone missing again. Yes. Okay. 
Okay, and he, yeah. did, he didn't do anything strange when he put in the bagels. Has this not happened before? Has no one else been like, hey, we might want to invest in a new toaster because this one sucks and is constantly, the bagels are constantly falling in the back? Like, Yeah, or, we, hey, there are coworkers who are not very considerate, which, yeah, I'm pretty sure bagels have been stolen in any workplace, regardless of whether you work in a police station or a copy, a photocopy industry. I don't know. No, Whatever. look, no, 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 no. You do not steal bagels if you work in a police station. That is just wrong. <laughs> you do not steal from cops. <laughs> Come on. And wouldn't it be donuts anyway, yes. based on cliches? Yes. Why bagels? Damon Lindelof didn't research uh, very much about police officers. <laughs> or maybe he was thinking like, you know, everybody thinks it's donuts, but they don't get it. Cops are all about bagels, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, is there anything else you want to say about this episode of The Leftovers? Um, I have no idea where it's going, but it's wacky enough for me to... Oddly enough, it's wacky and bleak at the same time, which is oddly enough still dramatically compelling for me, but this might turn into a show where it's going to be hilarious. I agree with you. If it doesn't pick up the pace in the next two episodes, I'm I'm going to be like this it's dragging, it needs to go somewhere. See, I don't I don't necessarily think it's a pacing thing. I think it just needs to figure out what it's doing. It needs to make sure each character and each development feels relevant mm-hmm. to the plot overall and to the episode as a whole and that it all connects and makes sense. I'm just asking for a basic level of narrative coherence here. It's funny because I read the review that Sonia Soraya wrote for the AV Club, and she liked this episode a lot more than the pilot and felt like it actually set a tone of direction. You know, I I, I like the, sh- the episode for the positive qualities that she wrote about here, but I agree with you. It is kind of... I, at first, I did think that it was setting up some direction, and now that I'm talking to you about it, I'm realizing it is a lit- bit more flimsy and thin than I thought it was, <laughs> especially with the bagels. Like, also, what's the deal with the title? Penguin 1, Us 0. I don't understand. Like, <laughs> like There are no penguins in this yes, no, If he hallucinated a penguin, that might have been something. But Yeah, like, they never talk about penguins at all. I was like, what's going on? I, like, honestly, this episode... It almost felt like we had skipped an episode. I was like, what, did HBO Go accidentally put up the wrong episode? <laughs> like, Sorry, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> Our bad. You know what? I also, uh, from the title, I half expected him to hallucinate a penguin like Edward Norton does in Fight Club and have a penguin be on his front steps and be like, slide, and then just slide on his belly into <laughs> into nothingness or something. <laughs> like, <laughs> I got to tell you, I'm worried that by the end of this show, the character I'm most going to relate to is Dennis, the other cop who, when the when the chief tells him stuff, is just like, uh huh, yeah, sure. And, you know, it's at your house. Your truck's at your house. So uh, wait, you, what do you mean you want me He's to? The audience surrogate. Like, <laughs> they're like, they're like, hey, let's throw in an actor and just have him improvise. Yeah, like Chief Garvey's like, you know, I didn't take this truck and park it at my own place, right? Tell me you believe that. And he's just like, yeah, I, I believe you. And you can tell he doesn't. I feel like that's how I'm, I, like, if, if, if the rest of The Leftovers is like this episode, by the end they're just going to be like, this is what's happening to the characters, and this is why it makes sense. And I'm just going to be like, uh-huh. Yeah, that yeah makes makes total sense. Uh huh. Sure. Yeah. Also, one thing I forgot real quick, as I said, it would be interesting if the show jumped in time, and now I'm thinking back on it, and it actually did because it seemed like the pilot. 
I mean, there was no snow on the ground. It seemed like everyone was outside and, you know, I mean, maybe they all gathered outside during the, you know, the fall or something, but it clearly is adapted into the winter here. So clearly these characters haven't been doing anything. <laughs> well, right. And they, well, they say it's been a couple weeks or whatever yeah. since she joined the, uh, the cult. Yeah, and what has she been doing besides chopping down trees and they've been taking her food? She's just been eating pancakes with whipped cream on them, I guess? I don't know. Oh, yeah. Oh, and speaking of, of, of that, there was this scene with her fiancé. Again, another reason the Liv Tyler storyline worked the best is because we start to see, oh, her actions are affecting other people around her and in ways that are unexpected, where he's actually kind of like, yeah, why... She joined the cult. I'm mad at her, and I don't want to marry her anymore. Yeah, well, you can't trust her. That's 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 actual human logic in a character in this show. Yes. Is he's actually kind of, he's also an audience surrogate because he's kind of like, I don't understand what's happening. Like, I don't know who I am anymore, who my fiance is. I don't know what feelings I, yeah. Like, it is it is a big question mark. Yeah. It is a big fat question mark of a show. Like, it, like but, at first you think he's worried about her because he's like, you guys called me and you didn't tell me if she's alive or dead. And you're like oh he must really want to know that she's alive and okay and then it almost seems like he kind of wishes she was dead where he's just kind of like hey i put my engagement on hold for three years to meet her needs and now she runs off to the freaking cult come on i kind of want him to go even crazier as the show goes on like he just enters in random characters houses who he hasn't met yet and be like i don't know what's happening where am i he like just brings in a baseball bat and just smashes shit and just breaks down the middle of the street crying because it's basically going to express our frustration if the show continues down this route. But. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, any other uh, thoughts on Penguin One, Us Zero? I, I have no idea what that title means, but <laughs> yeah, uh, it's just, like the title, uh, like the show itself, that title gives us no indication as to where the show is going. Oh, I want more Scott Glenn. I do want more Scott Glenn. He's a good actor. He was in The Silence of the Lambs. He was uh, Jodie Foster's boss in The Silence of the Lambs. Um, I guess I just want more of everything. I want more of Tom because, yeah, you're right. You know, all we know is he, you know, is estranged from his father. He screamed underwater in a pool, and now he's killed someone. And clearly, that is asked. That's so many questions that's moving the plot forward without character, which is interesting. And I want there to be. You know, even if it's just an episode with him and Christine, like, you know, on a road trip, I think that would be interesting just so we get why this character is important, why these characters are important and why he's estranged from his dad. And I hope that they take time to flesh out characters. But, yeah, it seems like they are going in a bunch of crazy different directions and I have no idea where it's going, but we're going to keep watching. Well, again, okay, here's why the scene with Scott Glenn worked Mm -hmm. for me and was the best part of this whole Chief Garvey, is he crazy or not, Mm -hmm. storyline. Because uh, he meets his father, Scott Glenn, who we discover has his own imaginary friend that he talks to, but he doesn't just say, he tells me this. He says, they are telling me this. They have sent somebody. So that makes that kind of implies, okay, who is they? Is they the people that have left that were taken? Are they somehow communicating with the people that have been left uh, behind? When suddenly the issue isn't, is he going crazy? But is he seeing things for a higher purpose? That, to me, is more interesting. Yeah, is he having Haley Joel Osment syndrome from The Sixth Sense? Is he, uh, 
I, I, I also, you know what that actually reminded me of? And it actually, it weirdly took me out of the episode, but this isn't, you know, this is just my own damn fault. But it reminded me of what Jeffrey Tambor does in when he goes crazy in Arrested Development, where he has all the stuffed animals that he's talking to. And he's like, I do not tell, they do not tell me what to do. And it just cuts to the stuffed animals at a tea party when he's stuck in the attic. I know that really doesn't yeah. have anything to do with anything, but. It, it, but no, 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 you're right. I could totally imagine <laughs> Scott Glenn just having a tea party with, with his stuffed ima- animals. With his imaginary friend. <laughs> Maybe he's the one who took the bagels. They didn't have anything for the stuffed element, elephant or whatever. <laughs> I think we've talked more about bagels than we've talked about anything else in this in this episode. Yeah. Which I apologize because, but you know, it's clearly, but but it's just you know clearly they made that such an important metaphor that yeah we we've said like this is going to be the last thing we've going to be we're going to be saying and then we've gone on and on and gone right. back to the bagels. So I apologize, but yeah. well, right, like uh, I don't care whether or not he's crazy. I care if he's going crazy or suppose it, or seems like he's going crazy for another purpose. Like, uh, I don't know if you ever saw Battlestar Galactica. I haven't. Uh, another show I need to watch. But that's a show in which a character hallucinates someone else. He does, he's not really going crazy. It appears like what he's seen is some sort of vision, and you're like, is this is this like an angel? What's going on here? And that, to me, is is interesting. Yeah. Well, it would be interesting to me. I guess I would get more caught up in it if we stuck with those characters and didn't have an ensemble drama going on here, because I agree. There's a movie that Robert Altman made that very few people have seen called Images about a woman with schizophrenia where she hallucinates three of her former lovers. Like, you know, she'll be talking with her husband, and then the husband will go into the bathroom and then a completely different character will come out and start screaming at her that we are informed of is her former lover. And that's interesting because that's a character study. But here in an ensemble drama, I feel like it's harder to make craziness appealing or metaphorical to an uh, approachable aspect. Right. That- is he crazy is not interesting yeah. to me. Why is, might he be going crazy is more interesting. Yeah, exactly. But I feel like if the show's going to keep going at this pace, we might not find out until like episode eight. But we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. All right. Well, I think that'll wrap it up for our discussion of episode two of The Leftovers. Write in and let us know. What did you think of this episode? Do you agree with me that it was a real letdown? Uh, do you think that it, it, it uh, actually did set some things up well? Do you think it did send the show off in, in some good directions? Write in and let us know. You can email us at leftovers at filmgeekradio.com or comment on the website at filmgeekradio.com. You can also call and leave us a voicemail at 336-793-2509. As always, please subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher. That really helps us get the word out about the program. Uh, and please leave us a positive review. If you leave us a, a good review on iTunes, we will give you a special shout-out on the show and make you part of the Tupperware Party team. We really appreciate that. If you really like the show and you'd like to financially support us, go to filmgeekradio.com, click the support tab and the donate button, and you can send us some money that way. That's a huge help that goes towards helping us pay for bandwidth and hosting and all of the technical costs that come with producing the show. Uh, We're also partnered with Amazon, so next time you need to do some online shopping, just go to filmgeekradio.com and navigate to Amazon through our affiliates page, and we will get a small percentage of whatever you spend there. So you can get something for for yourself and help us out at the same time. All right, Charlie, where can people find more of your work? Um, you can find the articles that I've written for Edge Media on edgeonthenet.com, as well as the articles that I've written for Movie Mezzanine on moviemezzanine.com. You can also follow me on Twitter and Letterbox at ctnash91. That's C-T-N-A-S-H 91. And you can find me co-hosting some other podcasts at filmgeekradio.com. We just came back with uh, Cinema Fix. 
this Yay. summer. Yes, Monica and I are reviewing movies again every week for the time being, so be sure to tune into that. And I also occasionally write over at Movie Mezzanine as well at MovieMezzanine.com. And you can follow me on Twitter and Letterboxd at WriterAndrew. And I hope you do so, so we can keep talking about The Leftovers. All right, that'll wrap it up for this episode. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next time at the Tupperware Party. This has been a Film Geek Radio production. Film Geek Radio! Yeah!